Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. Are you a woman who's ready to excel in her career and her life? Are you ready to be a professional saleswoman by using your inherent qualities? Are you a woman who wants to be better prepared for a leadership position? Then you're in the right place. Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman. It's about women in business, work-life balance, leadership, and current events related to gender communications. Be prepared to be inspired, motivated, and challenged. Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman is your connection to women nationally, internationally, and globally. So get comfy and see what the buzz is all about. Find out more at www.sellinginaskirt.com. Now, your host, Judy Hoberman, on C-Suite Radio. You know, company culture has become a popular buzzword in the last few years. But what is it exactly? Well, on a basic level, your company culture reflects the beliefs, the values, and behaviors of everyone in the workplace. Now, we tend to think of culture as the guidelines that maybe your handbook leaves out or the environment that you create to keep your employees happy. But your unique culture is built into your business's DNA from day one. Now, a new company has the opportunity to try new approaches to culture and taking things that were learned from previous workplace experiences and decide to keep or not keep and make their own unique environment. Now, knowing that my guest is an expert in culture, I did some major research to be prepared. So, is culture important? Now, there are many companies that have great cultures, and here's one example when the company culture created a $37 billion business, the world's largest movie house who owns no cinemas. It's one of the most popular companies in today's universe, Netflix. So here's what they say about their culture. First, flexibility. It's more important that efficiency Over the long term, it's all about being flexible. Then titles. They aren't prestigious and they're not a way to measure the impact you have on a company. Leadership is not about titles or positions or flowcharts. It's about one life influencing another. What about how people are paid? Well, people are paid relative to their market value, not to keep up with their coworkers. And also, you're in charge of your career. It's up to the individual to manage their career path, not the management team. But the managers do focus on context, not control. The best managers focus their time on that. 
then everyone should behave as if they are owners. Let them feel that they have a vested interest in the company. Let them feel they're helping in making important decisions so that they buy into it and they own it. Then also focus on the result, not the process. As long as the result is great, who cares about how they got there? And then action, take action and don't get stuck in analysis causes paralysis, just do it. Then also respect, respect everyone in the company regardless of their status or their title. And finally, get your ideas from your employees. Look to your employees to create and suggest ideas that will drive your company forward. Now it's funny, when I read each one of those qualities, I realized that most of those were lessons I learned growing up. Perhaps that's where a great culture starts for many. But according to Daniel Goleman in his book, Primal Leadership, an organization's climate, how people feel about working at the company, accounts for 20 to 30% of performance. So what drives climate? Well, roughly 50 to 70% of how employees perceive their organization's climate can be traced to the action of one person, the leader. But however, peak performance isn't all about the numbers either. It's the balance of the head and the heart that leads to maximum outcomes. Unfortunately, far too often that soft stuff gets pushed to the side when the going gets tough to the detriment of everyone. The soft stuff, no matter what, it does matter. And it's all about a leader's emotional intelligence. His or her self-awareness and social awareness and self-management and relationship management is really what it's all about, their emotional intelligence. It's not about leadership style. It's about being in sync with your people and they with you. So if you can't change the culture, you can certainly change the climate. And that's another lesson that I share with my clients. It's about your people. Are they happy? Did you give them a reason to stay? Are you inviting them to leave? Are you part of the problem or part of the solution? Know your people. And finally, momentum offers some ways to create a culture that people love to be a part of. Hire excellent people. Reward hard work, not hours on the clock. Be as transparent as possible. Treat your employees as adults and invest in employee wellness. Also, make sure to prioritize technology and mobility and recognize and celebrate accomplishment. But most of all, give your employees a mission. Clearly define what's at the heart of your business. Culture is a giant topic and one that can be about your professional life, your personal life, the way you live, who you interact with, and the list can go on and on. And before I bring on my very special guest, who is an expert about this topic, I want you to do a little experiment with me. If someone asked you to tell your culture story in just six words, could you? Here are some ideas of what it is and what it isn't. It is descriptive, prescriptive, emotionally positive, self-empowered, and fully engaged. But it isn't a list of accolades, accomplishments, and advertising features. So here's an example of how short six words are. We're tough, we're focused, we win. Emotionally positive, self-empowered, fully engaged. Do you see the power in just six words? Can you imagine if everyone in your company reflected those qualities? Where do you think the production would go? How about the overall attitude? Do you think people would be excited to show up every day? Remember, culture doesn't change unless and until people change. We're going to take a break to thank our sponsor, Walking on the Glass Floor. And when we come back, you're going to hear from my guest who will share his thoughts about culture. This is Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio, and we'll be right back. What happens after shattering the glass ceiling? You're now walking on the glass floor. Walking on the Glass Floor, Seven Essential Qualities for Women Who Lead is a timely and indispensable business guide for all women, whether you're moving out of a dorm room or moving into an executive suite. Introducing readers to the seven keys to success in business and life, Judy Hoberman brings her fresh voice, sales savvy, and thoughtful approach to each of the essential and most powerful leadership qualities. 
Written in her trademark no-nonsense, glass-half-full prose, Judy's blueprint for business teaches all women how to cultivate and strengthen key skills that will serve them in both business and life. Uncover amazing qualities they already possess that will help them lead and succeed and harness universal leadership qualities to continue reaching their full potential. By providing authentic real-life case studies and inspiring quotes throughout, Judy fills each page with the timely advice women need right now. Walking on the glass floor is like having Judy Hoberman sitting right next to you as your business mentor, personal life coach, and best friend all at the same time. You can order your own copy of the book at walkingontheglassfloor.com. Welcome back to Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio. Okay, I am really excited for our guest, Don Taylor, an executive coach, consultant, and lecturer on leadership, healthcare policy, emerging healthcare change, and other exciting opportunities within today's dynamic leadership environment. His insights are based on almost 40 years of operational and leadership experience across the healthcare industry in federal, state, private sector, academic, and nonprofit organizations. Don is a retired colonel who served in the U.S. Air Force for over 27 years in various roles supporting military engineering and healthcare. He's been the CEO of hospitals and served as a COO at Wilfrid Hall Academic Medical in San Antonio. He also led the Air Force Theater Trauma Hospital in Balad. Iraq in 2006 as the only non-physician to command there. He's led companies, worked in the VA, and consulted healthcare organizations in leadership and culture. Today, he's an adjunct professor at UT Dallas and lectures at UT Southwestern Medical Center, where he teaches leadership, strategy, health policy, population health, healthcare management, and clinical integration. He's also president of a workplace program called LifeWorks, where he helps companies safely and effectively return to work in an uncertain environment. He's on the advisory board of ThinkX, Inc. He's also a certified trainer for leadership development with two organizations. And as a volunteer, he's founded the 100,000-member Air Force Association's Wounded Airman Program to provide dedicated support for ill and wounded airmen families worldwide. He's published the book, The Quiet Heroes, Timeless Reflections of American Airmen. That one title that anyone that knows me knows about him is, he is the colonel, my husband. So welcome to the show, Don. I am super excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Good morning. Good morning. So let's talk about the discussion of the day, culture. What does that mean to you? Oh, it's everything. It's kind of a, an artist in my own way. I see culture as sort of the canvas on which you can paint a vision of an organization and help the people then migrate to it. Culture is about people and it's about their own individual aspirations and hope and contributions and purpose and vision. It's very complex, but culture really becomes the lifeblood of an organization. So what does a great culture look like? <laughs> a great culture is fun. It's non-threatening. It's welcoming. It's inclusive. And it's very clear that everyone in the organization can align themselves with the overall purpose and mission of the organization. There's no, there's no outsiders, there's no outliers, there's nobody not feeling attached to that purpose. That's a healthy culture. And it's up to the leader to assure that it is balanced and that it's healthy and that it's continually adapting and shaping to an outside environment that tries to, by the way, that challenges it. And the leader's job is to keep the culture healthy and respond to an ever-changing external environment. And again, the people become the means by which the culture is sustained. 
Okay, so we all know that culture is generally speaking determined by the leadership. Can one person change it for the better or destroy it? Yes. Have you seen it? I have. And what does it look like? You can have a great culture and organization. You change leadership out. One self-serving leader can destroy a culture. Remember, culture is based upon authenticity and trust. And if a leader arrives who is not perceived to be authentic, who doesn't necessarily align with the same purpose the culture is aligned with, or becomes too self-serving, or becomes ineffective as a leader, too weak, the culture then kind of begins to fragment, gets a bit loose, or and it can rapidly, rapidly disintegrate to where individuals then crawl back into their space and trust nobody and communicate nowhere. Leadership can destroy that. Now, to build it for a leader to walk into a tough culture takes a long time, and it takes sustainable effort across many parameters to create the trust that could be lost in a moment. Remember, the the connective tissue in, the, in a culture is trust. Mm-hmm. And, and that can be destroyed in a moment, but it takes forever to rebuild it. Interesting. So where does passion fit into culture? Well, it's sort of like the fuel. Passion is the means by which a culture is fueled. Uh, or in, as I say, sometimes the light blood, it's the oxygen. It's mm-hmm. the means by which it self-sustains. It's the part that's intangible. That is you know, once that is clear, the leader doesn't have to be physically present for the culture to be driven by the purpose, the common purpose of the organization. You know, we have a very dynamic workforce today over many generations, a lot of recent effects between with the workplace as well. And purpose is becoming a greater need of the younger generation and their work needs, particularly in healthcare. And sometimes finding purpose other than business outcomes, is a little bit difficult right now because we have a period of time with which prosperity seemed to be the exclusive goal of leadership, but a greater good serving others seems to be the goal of those entering and mid-level in the workspace and those conflicted. So the cultures therefore became a little bit opposing entities. And so you have, it takes a a lot to do, there's a lot to repair right now in the current workspace, but that purpose is the true north. It's the fuel by which a workforce can align and can create a common language, a common direction without what I call intervention of leadership on a recurring basis, because they can't be everywhere all the time. Right. So what about healthcare? It's taken some major hits lately. Does that entire industry need to change its overall culture? Wow. I think healthcare has discovered a few things recently. We as a nation have thought and prided ourselves on a healthcare system assumed to be best in the world. And whether you call it American arrogance or whatever, we cost twice as much as most economically developed nations uh, on a per member per year basis. But yet, Our health outcomes are among the worst of those nations. We're near the bottom in life expectancy, near the bottom in infant mortality. And certainly, we have high prevalence of chronic diseases. We're an unhealthy nation. So healthcare had been kind of falsely promoting itself that they created health. They didn't. They just created more healthcare, which is the business part of our health system. Health is what we need as the outcome. 
So the COVID or the pandemic has exposed the fact that our population wasn't healthy, nor were we what I call connected enough or centralized enough to do things in an integrated, partnered fashion, because our health system was also, as a business, very competitive and very compartmentalized and actually not aligned to serve the people of the nation. They served where business opportunities were, not where health needs were. Mm-hmm. So this exposed all of that. I, I say that, you know, the bright corona light <laughs> has been shown in our system and revealed its ugly underside. And I believe we're going to have to take a moment and fix it. And right now, there's a reality that it wasn't quite right. There's competing factions right now to attack that. And we may have the wrong leaders, and we certainly may have the wrong cultures established to kind of navigate out of this current problem. Okay, so you just mentioned something that I, you know, I was thinking about. The world is on pause right now, truly is. I mean, everybody's trying to figure this all out. So if you could describe what leadership should look like going forward, whether it's healthcare or not, what should we be looking for? Because people are looking for their leaders, and sometimes the leaders are just as confused as everybody else. So what should the leadership of tomorrow look like? And when I say tomorrow, it could be actually tomorrow, or it could be next month or next year. But what should we be looking for? You first need to look for authenticity. So what we've discovered through all of this is that nothing is more important than people and their health. No Mm -hmm. matter what you do, no matter your industry, health can destroy your revenue cycle. Every company has been affected by the pandemic and is related to health. If you aren't healthy or if a healthy environment is not available, you can't connect. You can't exchange services. And then you have this ever-growing need. And we still have yet to identify the full, what I call, uh, I guess, effect on health that isolation and quarantine is having on people. But the point is leadership of the future is going to have to be a little more what I call empathetic. They're going to have to connect with people better. They're going to have to have enough what I call emotional intelligence to help them recover from who knows how long this could be, could still be a few more months, to help people recover and to help them understand what they just went through or what they are going through and some of the consequences that they've had to deal with during this time. Well, you have to have people who are leaders who can look beyond that, see value and see potential in people even though they, they may not be where they, their ultimate, they may not be where they should be. They have things to deal with. And you're going to have to have leaders with emotional intelligence enough to understand that and to keep people connected and to recreate that trust. Culture is going to be redefined. What helps most is a right is coming to together for another purpose again and having people focus on purpose. Profit, profitability expectations have to be changed. Mm-hmm. That's going to be very difficult for boards and shareholders to understand because they were accustomed to pretty large margins and significant wealth in the past, particularly in the healthcare industry, that's going to change. That's going to change. A great leader with great culture still can use help because, you know, I mean, nobody could do it by themselves. So you created a company called LifeWorks, and it's basically to help a company understand how to get back on track and go back safely after what we're experiencing now. So talk about LifeWorks and why you actually created it. I was sitting here one day in the office and you and I, I mean, we talked about it. You know, one of the things that I was concerned about is if, if I were a CEO today, what would I be 
concerned about? Well, the first thing as, you know, what I call an effective leader would be, I don't know everything I need to do. That's the first thing you have to accept. This is a new threat. This is a new dimension or a new ripple in the pond in the workspace. I don't know everything. And when you look to guidance from authorities that are telling you or the experts, it's the guidance is quite diverse. It's because the virus itself changes, it adapts. It's something we haven't seen on the public stage in, in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. And the experts are discovering and seeing more. And then you have the information that's shared has significant economic and emotional impact on a, on a population as well across the world. So you see information being managed, let me just say that, for positive effects so that you don't destroy an economy, so you don't destroy hope, so you don't create fear. And so you have to manage the reality of the clinical discovery versus what I call the soft or the emotional response and the economic response to the information that's being shared. So I created LifeWorks to help people just understand the federal guidance, objectively understand the federal guidance and to do the things they're supposed to do, to get the equipment you need, to know how to train as to how to use the equipment. All of those are requirements by state guidance and county guidance. I doubt most companies are doing it. And then to test, to follow through and account for that, privacy protection, your HR policies. Are you doing that right? Is your building design right? Are your conference rooms right? Is your airflow, is your air conditioning system correct? LifeWorks goes across the spectrum to help you adapt your operations to not only this pandemic, but the potential next pandemic in our lifetimes. Okay, so LifeWorks takes care of the safety. What? How do you talk to your clients or guide your clients? to change the culture of their company. LifeWorks is very black and white. This is what needs to be done. This is what's going to make the company safe and so on. You follow the regulations. Culture is not exactly the same. So how do you guide your clients to change the culture of their company when you actually can see that it needs to be changed? Well, that's where I also come in as, a, as kind of an executive coach. Sometimes the leader or the CEO, the C, whoever is in charge, they, they just need a sounding board. Mm-hmm. And I need a sounding board of someone who's been there and someone who's not threatening and someone who's non-judgmental. And I find that that's an important role I can fulfill within the scope of the LifeWorks bundle. And these are all, you know, off the menu options. You can do many of these. Either we do it for companies or we consult and advise. But I would consult with the leader and, and help them understand, you know, where they were, what their limitations are, what their blind spots are. The things that are essential to move forward and how they're going to have to adjust and adapt their own leadership style or even their own personal beliefs in a way to move forward in a healthy, safe fashion. His or her workforce is going to return, whether that's virtually or face-to-face, differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They've been affected by this. You don't know how. And when you mix that with the other kind of what I call social elements that's disrupting us as well, they come back a little edgier. You need to work with them differently than you did before all of this. And they, and a lot of leaders don't know that. They don't have what I call the emotional intelligence or the, or the leadership maturity to do that. Okay. So if someone looked up the definition of servant leader, your face would appear. Okay. And we all know that you're a huge servant leader. You're an adjunct professor at universities. Your students love you. They look at you as a role model for them. 
what does it actually mean to be a servant leader? You know, a leader's role is to help others become the best they can be. It's very clear. You're there to serve them. They take care of the business. Mm-hmm. Leadership is about serving those who serve you. That's your job. And if you help them become the best they can possibly be with the right mindset, the right equipment, the right environment, the right support, the right motivation, the right purpose, the right vision, and you keep them on track, then you're serving them because they've achieved potential, which is an ever-changing target, by the way, as people grow and mature. Their potential changes and grows. You just keep them moving toward that. But your job is to help them become the best possible. When that happens, and you do that across an organization, then the leader's role becomes much easier. You just have to stay attentive to serving them and to serving their needs. And right now, their needs are significant because you don't know what they're, what's in their minds right now. Right. So you don't have to let someone know that you're a servant leader. You don't have to announce that. <laughs> you, can tell, you can tell in the first 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. You're also a a major champion for women. And throughout your career in the Air Force, and thank you for your service, you've always given women the same opportunities as, you know, qualified people are qualified people, no matter what their gender is. One of the questions I would ask is, what advice can you share with women who are in leadership positions? Because as a champion, you know what it's like. It's not always the easiest thing for a woman to find an opportunity or to even know there is an opportunity. Hmm. So my advice is do your job, do your job, be objective, don't have a chip on your shoulder, because I found it easier to work in a diverse workplace in the military than I have in the private sector or on the outside. We didn't have diversity groups. We didn't have advocacy groups that were divided amongst themselves by common traits. We had a common culture that we all embraced as one. I didn't have subsets about how to deal with certain elements of of our culture, like we do in employer groups or things like that. We didn't have those because what we had were, we had groups that focused on people that were comprised of members of all of those categories. So we always grew together. You know, I, I look at, and I think back in when I was serving in Iraq and we had a team that had, I had about 420 folks there on the team. We had such a compelling purpose. There was no time for individuality. And yeah, I heard about it. I had a female surgeon talk to me once that she felt she was being bullied a bit by the male surgeons. She told me that our last day there as we were leaving, I said, why not earlier? She goes, because you would have done something about it. And I didn't Mm. want that from you. Interesting. I just wanted you to be aware. But she told me the last day. Mm. So... But I would tell you in the OR, in which I attended and watched, and watched many, it was not present. We were all the way ranging in age from 18 to 70. We were from 40 of the 50 states. We were across all cultures, all colors, all genders. <laughs> and we served one purpose, save lives. That was it. And we trusted each other to do that because the trust for your own well-being was a part of that equation. You had to trust the person standing next to you to support you and to protect you during time, that time as well. And there lies great culture. Great culture. Right there. Absolutely. The trust again. Yep. In the interdependency, 
And sometimes, yes, it's tension, but it's controlled tension. Matter of fact, you want a little tension here and there to keep things authentic and honest. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how can our listeners get connected with you? Because you have fascinating stories and lots of experience, and there's a lot of people that can use exactly what you have. Sure. You know, I do some speeches here and there about learning to serve others and how to protect or establish a culture through serving through their, the eyes of those you serve. So I do some speeches on that. But the best is just you can find me on LinkedIn, www.donald-taylor.com, and you'll get right to my LinkedIn site. Talk with me there, connect with me, read a little bit about background. And uh, you can send me also an email at don at lifeworks, L-I-F-E-W-O-R-X-S.com. Awesome. Well, Don, thank you so much for sharing the mic with me. You know, it's just, it's always fascinating when I'm going to have you on the show because each time you say something and I'm like, okay, I have to remember that. I have to remember that. And I think other people are going to do the same. So I'm excited that we are connected, of course. And um, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to be with me today. Thank you. And I'll meet you for lunch today. Absolutely. (laughs) And I want to leave everyone with this quote, culture does not make people, people make culture. I thank you all for listening to our discussion where we share some extraordinary guests, some ideas for your business and ways to stand out as the amazing women that you are. And make sure you stay connected with us. And remember, women want to be treated equally, not identically. Until next time, this is Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.